Next week, we begin a new message series. Start August 1st. We'll end, maybe if the Lord permits, by the end of April. The message series title, The Hard Time Letters, Practical Life Skills from Paul's Prison Epistles. How about that? A chaplain, as your interim pastor, going through the letters that Paul wrote while he was incarcerated. This is a new, original series. I have preached and taught through all of these books multiple times, but I'm going to study like it's new to me and learn whatever I can and grow with you. Let's grow this church as we do this. There are flyers in the lobby. You can download them off the internet as well. And you can hand these to people, hang them up. This is a good time to bring friends, family, whoever, to the church. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I'll get back to this passage at the end. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You'll see in the slide up behind me, unless you are listening to this on the internet or in the parking lot, A slide that says CKCC in the background. You see that? But we're going to talk about three things today. Reform, restore, and revive. And you'll notice the background changes from CKCC to you. Yes, all of this applies to the church, but it applies to me. And it applies to you. So when we talk about, to begin with, some church history, and yes, there will be church history, but fortunately there are a lot of pictures, so this will help those of you with short attention spans to at least hopefully enjoy the pictures. The first picture is of an empty tomb. Beautiful sunrise, you can see three crosses in the background outside the tomb. But really Christianity begins with the empty tomb. Jesus died because he loved us so much. He wants us to spend eternity with him in a place of spiritual, ultimate bliss. I'd like to go back to Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and following. And Peter said to them, this is on the day of Pentecost, when the church actually launched, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Here's an image up behind me. You can see, unless you are listening to this 
another way in the parking lot or on the internet. The images of a bunch of people. 3,000 were added that day. 3,000 were baptized into Christ. This was about 30 A.D., the same year as the Lord conquered death. Fast forward a little bit to Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, Peter and John that is, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came up to came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And, you know, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's why they were sad, you see. (laughs) Verse 3, And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Add the women and children, you're at least at 15,000. The church is growing. And only four chapters into the book of Acts, we're at 15,000. Fast forward, I wish I had more time to fill in the gaps, but I don't. Acts chapter 11, verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent... Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So it continues and continues to grow. Verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. There's a transition that's happening here. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. You should know it was a derogatory term where others who did not like Christians did not like the people who followed Jesus. They called them Christians, meaning followers of Christ. And the Christians embraced the derogatory term they were given. There is nothing to be ashamed about in following Christ. So we proudly bear the name given to us by critics, Christians. It was in A.D. 55 to A.D. 56 A.D. when Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthian church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 17, as he begins this letter, he talks about the division that's already happening in the church. Some are following Paul, some are following others. And Paul says, I thank God I only baptized a couple people. That's all I can remember baptizing at least. He's he's thankful because we should all be following Christ and not putting our faith in men. We're all fallible. So as as Paul said in another place, follow me as I follow Christ. That's the thing. 
You only follow them as they follow Christ. Don't follow what they do that is not following Christ. But there were divisions in the church, people dividing up, saying, I'm, an, I'm a follower of Paul, I'm a follower of Peter, I'm a follower of Apollos and whoever. And you get all the way to the book of Revelations. Look at that slide. You'll see the S drop off of the slide. There is no book called Revelations. It's Revelation. But as we open up the book of Revelation, and by the way, this was in 90 to 95 AD when John wrote the book of Revelation, when Jesus revealed to him these things that must be written down, ultimately inspired by God to be in our Bibles. As we look at the beginning of Revelation, we see that there is a denomination mentioned. It's the first denomination that we know of. You remember when you were in school and you learned the difference between the numerator and the denominator? You might have forgotten, but let me remind you that the denominator is the one on the bottom. It's the number that divides. That's the one you use. If you want to come up with a decimal, you take that bottom number and you divide it into that top number. The denominator divides. Denominations divide. You might get to talking to a friend and say, well, well, you're a Christian. What kind of Christian are you? And you might struggle with that because you want to say something like, well, I, you know, I go to Central Kitsap Christian Church. Well, what's, what kind of church is that? Um, you might struggle. Yeah. It's kind of like Baptists, you know, maybe a little bit like Nazarene. Maybe a little, you know, lightly Assembly of God mixed in there. Maybe some Methodists, you know, something like that. Not like the Catholics, but kind of. Maybe Episcopalian, Presbyterian. Uh, you struggle. You see, the problem is when you start saying what kind of Christian you are, I'm a Baptist Christian. I'm a Methodist Christian. It's almost as if you're claiming you're a better kind of Christian than another. And even though we are a non-denominational church, and you can say, I'm just a Christian. I just want to follow the Bible. That's it. Just, just a Christian. Oh, aren't we all? Uh, well, no, we're not. But I want to follow the, the pattern that's in the Bible. And, and even though you, we, you can say we're a non-denominational church, and I like to say an undenominational church, but you can say that, but the reality is sometimes we act like we're better than others because we're not a denomination. And in so doing, we're acting like a denomination. Let's not divide. Let's look at these others that, that bear different names and not judge them. Let's admire the good in them. And then we share a faith in Jesus Christ. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's not divide the church. It's an abomination of God. Jesus expressed clearly he does not want his church divided, but I'll get off my soapbox and move on. Fast forward all the way to 320 A.D. The church experienced great unity from the start of the church until then. Yeah, there was the Nicolaitans, but very little other little divisions. <clears throat> and it was in 320 that Roman Emperor Constantine the Great became a Christian and officially named the church which would later become the Catholic Church, named it the Universal Church, and that's what Catholic means. So it became the Church 
of the state, the government church. And it was in 378 AD that Theod Roman Emperor Theodosius I decided to make church membership mandated. Oh, it sounds good on the surface. It's now the law that the known world, controlled by Rome, has an edict from its emperor. Everyone has to be a member of the church. It sounds great. Problem is, what happened is the churches were filled with non-believers, people who didn't want to be a part of the church, but by law they had to be. So the church was filled with people that did not believe the Bible, did not believe in Jesus, did not believe that we were created. And these people wound up in positions in the church. And bad decisions in the name of the church were done. Fast forward to 590 A.D. This is when St. Gregory the Great was named the Universal Bishop. The first official Pope. I know you've got friends that'll say Peter was the first Pope. That's what they try to back up and say. Nowhere the Bible doesn't say it. And nowhere before 590 A.D. does anyone mention such a thing. The first pope was named as universal, universal bishop, spiritual leader of the known world, supposedly. His words equal to scripture. And a lot of bad things continued to happen because man, man has flaws. And the church began some horrible, horrible practices. And Christians rose up within the church. How could they not? And on October 31st, 1517, is when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the Wittenberg Church, the Schlosskirche, the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, where all of the announcements were nailed. But when Luther did his 95 theses, his 95 statements against the practices of the church that had become so corrupt. He intended to help the church get back to the Bible. That was the main point. But as you recall, they rejected him. Today, he's a hero. And this happened on October 31st of the year 1517. You'll see some pictures up behind me, these Images up behind me are of a thing that I call the Wittenberg Carnival. It's an alternative to Halloween. No, it's not a harvest party. No, we do not dress up. But we still give the kids a very big bag of candy when they leave. I mean, we step up and we give them the best candy. Big, fat candy bars, the kind you get when you go to Grandma's house. For those who choose not to trick-or-treat, Those who don't want to have to go through their parents sifting through their candy to see if anybody's done anything to taint it, to harm their children. You don't have to do that if we do a Wittenberg Carnival. The church would collect the candy and won't open the bags until multiple eyes are watching. And it's facilitated where those bags are put together the night of the carnival. And parents can rest assured nobody has tainted this candy, and it's going to be good candy, and a bigger bag of candy than you could get if you did go trick-or-treating. So the kids are not going to miss out. Yeah, they don't dress up, but 
For those who, and, and it's the theme, by the way, on the Wittenberg Carnival, you have games, you have a catapult, you have all kinds of games centered around castles and dragons and cool stuff like that, but no dressing up. And it's all centered around that era of October 31st, 1517. It's a better thing to celebrate than all the evil that's associated with a pagan holiday, Halloween, the most advertised, money-making, retail thing that we do. For those who choose not to participate in it, instead would celebrate with us at Wittenberg Carnival, we can do this. But I need, if you want to do this, Central Kitsap Christian Church, for the first time, I've done it for many, many years. In fact, one of these images, you've got people in it that, that are, you'll recognize that are visiting with us today, the Mix family, including Brandon Mix. He's the, the big guy. You see seated, seated there. Don't mess with him. He's a great thinker, but he doesn't share his opinion unless you ask for it. And when you ask for it, you're going to get a well-thought-out opinion. I am so proud of Brandon. Watched him grow up. But I need a buy-in from the men in this church. I can't do this by myself, and I'm going to need the men to step up and be the leaders in their families and the leaders in this church and, and make this carnival happen. If you're interested in doing something like this, we can involve the local school, Christian schools, the uh, homeschooling parent associations, and we can get others in the community that don't want to do Halloween to be involved with our Wittenberg Carnival. We can do this. I just need to buy in from the men. I'm going to need the help from the women too, but I need, I need the men to step up and help me take the lead in this. Talk to me after church if you're interested. If your kids want to dress up, we can plan for another date. There's actually a biblically mandated time where we should remember a particular story and dressing up is part of the tradition. So mark your calendars, Wednesday, March 16th, 2022. That will be where we do another event on a Wednesday night and we dress up. We'll plan for that. <clears throat> it just so happens that that's on a Wednesday night and the Wittenberg Carnival this year October 31st does fall on a Sunday. Let's go back to October 31st, 1517. That's when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on that door in the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And when he did, it set the world on fire with a movement that had already begun. I like to call it a Just the Bible movement. But it's known in history as the Reformation. So you look at the slide up behind me that says you, the word reform. The reformers were very well known. Some of them were, were actually sentenced to death. In the 16th and 17th century, the Puritan movement began. You'll see some images of some of these in that Puritan movement behind me, and now you know which way I'm going with this. I would like to recommend a book to you. You can see the Betsy Ross flag up behind me. Because the Puritan movement ultimately landed people in this great country. This idea of simply reforming the church, let's get back to the Bible, just the Bible. People came to this country thinking they could have religious freedom and that we could actually help the whole world to have religious freedom. I'd like to recommend a book to you. 
called The Right Side of History by Ben Shapiro. Happens to be a Jew, but he understands the impact of the Jewish and Christian thought that went into the shaping of this great country that shaped the whole world, that actually helped many get back to the Bible. If you want to understand why things are unraveling the way they're unraveling today, by looking back at history to see what's happened, I highly recommend The Right Side of History by Ben Shapiro. The Reformation movement led to other things. In America, we are told there are multiple great awakenings. Our historians have broken it down into four great awakenings, and I would like to focus on a second great awakening, and I'd like to submit to you that there should be a fifth. But let's talk about the Restoration Movement. You here at Central Kitsap Christian Church might not even realize you are part of this great part of history. What you see on the slide behind me are four images they're of particular men that they were actually discovered by Raccoon John Smith. It's pretty interesting who was traveling around the United States as kind of a circuit riding preacher. <clears throat> and he discovered as he went from town to town, he discovered that, hey, there's already churches set up where there's preachers that are preaching like this. And he discovered there were four other people that were training others to be preachers to just preach the Bible. At the top, at 12 o'clock in the photos, that is Thomas Campbell. At 3 o'clock, that's Barton W. Stone. At 6 o'clock, that's Alexander Campbell. And at 9 o'clock, you have Walter Scott. You'll have to read more on him. I'm not going to give you much information on Walter Scott, but I'll give you a little bit on the others. If you want a good theme for these people that came out of history. They followed this well, and I love this passage, and I'm going to give it to you, the NIV. I've been using the English Standard Version, but to, right now I'm going to give you 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. The second part of the verse says, Do not go beyond what is written. Very similar to Martin Luther, just the Bible. On the slide behind me, you see the word you again, and reform. But now we're talking about restoration, so restore. It applies to the church, it applies to you, it applies to me. The restoration movement was a fascinating thing. As Thomas Campbell came to this great new land for religious freedom, he was allowed to be in charge of the Presbyterians in Washington County, Pennsylvania. He came to set up his home for his family in this great new country, while his son, his, old, his son Alexander, was overseas taking care of the family, and he was still in college. Thomas Campbell preached just the Bible, and unfortunately, he was part of a denomination, and some of his people let the denomination know that he was preaching just the Bible. They let him know quickly, you just can't do that. He was terminated from his position. At the same time, simultaneously, his son was one of the brightest students at his seminary, and he was very esteemed by his professors. And you might remember, maybe you've seen churches that have at a communion table in the worship room, you have a couple of chairs besides the communion table. The reason why they're beside the communion table is because the communion table used to be guarded. 
because you had to prove you knew enough before you could have communion. This was happening in Alexander Campbell's time. He had proven that he was one of the brightest students, so he certainly knew enough. They gave him a coin, a token, if you will. And he's standing in line in this long line to be served communion. It's going outside the church into the streets, and beggars in the streets are asking why they cannot have communion. And, of course, they're supposed to think, oh, well, you don't know enough. You're not educated enough. And it bothered Alexander Campbell, this is not the church in the New Testament. It's not the way God wants this. And by the time he got up to the communion table, he was so furious that when the leaders in that church looked at him like, go ahead, because they could see his coin, his token, he had his hand open, Alexander refused communion and tossed his coin on the table and walked out, subsequently being removed from his esteemed position. Arrived in America with the family, and father and son got together and talked. Son, I need to tell you something. Dad, I need to tell you something. Well, let's go talk. And under the stars at night, they shared their stories and realized God is moving. This was a big part of the restoration movement, but other things happened. If you'll recall that TV show called Gunsmoke, you can see the image up behind me. you got Matt Dillon standing on the street <clears throat> in a Hollywood-designed town to look like the Wild West. It was a Wild West. It was very wild. Licentiousness was everywhere, and I cannot fail to mention the infidelity of the French. It was huge. And people, as they traveled further west in the United States of America... As they traveled further west, there was less law, less ability to enforce the law. And a, movie, a TV series like Gunsmoke depicts that. And I remember teaching a group of people about the size of this number here that's in the room. And I remember talking about, I love Gunsmoke. And I was thinking about the, you know, Matt Dillon, you know, he stands up, he's, he's got honor and character and, you know, he's... Man of his word, you know, that kind of a thing. And, and they play church hymns in the background, and actually it's uh, uh, saloon hymns became church hymns. In fact, Martin Luther wrote a song that uh, the music that was put to it was from a saloon. But anyway, I, I was talking about how I love Gunsmoke in this Bible study, and a deacon spoke up and said, what is it you like so much about Gunsmoke? Is it the uh, rampant violence, all the people shooting people innocently, the handle violence with violence, the... Um, prostitution that was everywhere, the, the open gambling, the excessive drinking, and he went on. I thought, oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm supposed to love gun smoke like I do. But all of these things, the wildness of the United States led us to that second great awakening. This image up behind me is of a time that happened in August of 1801, you remember Daniel Boone? Well, Daniel Boone was speaking to a preacher, and he said, I'll tell you where you should put a church, down there in Cane Ridge, Kentucky. And that preacher listened to that, and that preacher got some people, and they, they had their meager tools, and they made their way down to Cane Ridge, Kentucky. They started a church. I've been there. 
You when you when you it's, it's the largest free cabin, freestanding log cabin in the, the state of Kentucky. It's now encased as a monument. It's a museum. You can go in and see it. And when you look at the different logs in there, you can see, look at this log, look at the one behind you over there to the right, you can see the same hatchet marks are on it. The same person that cut that one with a hatchet cut that one with a hatchet. They, they use very meager tools. Then you see in that image, that log cabin that's drawn, and you've got thousands of people there. See, what happened is Barton W. Stone became the second preacher in this church. And he realized that they need to be just following the Bible, just preaching the Bible. And he put out the word that let's have a, let's have a meeting. No creeds of man, only the Bible. And a revival broke out. In a restoration history, this thing called the Second Great Awakening happened in Cane Ridge, Kentucky. The United States military was dispatched to maintain order. And they counted that on any given day during those many days, there were between 10 and 20,000 people just to hear just the Bible. Churches uh, spread after this. I want to tell you something a little qu quickly about this before we move on to the next slide. You see that log cabin? You see that little window that's off to the side? That was designed on purpose because Kentucky did not allow blacks to be educated they do not allow blacks to attend worship with the whites. But the good people of Cane Ridge, Kentucky, knew this was wrong. And they built a loft so that if the, the black people wanted to put a ladder up to the building, climb in a window, sit in a loft, they could, in quotations, observe. They found a way to get away with worshiping no boundaries of skin color. I wish I had time to tell you more that I've learned about that part of the world and what was happening as a direct result of the restoration movement. Just the Bible, the Second Great Awakening, was an amazing thing. And churches spread all the way out here to Washington State. People who got rid of creeds of man, left their denominational teachings far away. Fast forward all the way to 1969, when a woman encouraged her son-in-law, why don't you lead a Bible study in Bremerton, Missouri? And thus began the birth of a restoration history church that would become known as Central Kitsap Christian Church. You are part of a remarkable history. If you want to learn more about restoration churches in the, the Northwest, you can get on the website of Northwest College of the Bible and look at the pioneer history. There is a broken link there I've let the person that's managing this website know that that broken link is there, but there's a lot of information. You can get around that broken link and learn about the restoration churches in our area. We talked about reform and you. We talked about restore and you. And now we should talk about revive and you. 
second great awakening from the restoration churches has birthed this church ultimately. Historians say there were four great awakenings, and I say it's time for a fifth. If there's ever a time that America is primed and the world is primed for a revival, it's now. And pay attention to the sign that's behind you. This is not about just the church or your church or a preacher. This is about you. It all starts with individuals who are willing to do what it takes to do their part to please our Lord. The church, you say, where the church began? You know, somebody want to ask you what kind of Christian you are. I'm a Christian. Well, the church began, yeah, you can say they were first called Christians in Antioch, but it's before that. It was on the day of Pentecost when the church was birthed as a direct result of Jesus' resurrection and ascension and enthronement at the right hand of God. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. And they want you to be. Oh, they want you to be. You want to post something on social media that might be Christian? Well, that'll get pushed out of sight for most people, for many people. You push some kind of different opinion that those who want to control what we think don't agree with. And by the way, I'm not talking about conspiracy theories. I'm talking about reality. Media outlets, social media groups, Google. They all want to push Christianity into oblivion. I hope you limit your time on any of those things. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There is hope. We're going to be doing a new series. If you want to see a revival, it's got to start with you. It can help our community and ultimately help the world. Let's use this new series. Let's, let's renew our commitment. Let's rethink the way we've been doing things. Let's reform, restore, and revive.